Welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast, formerly known as the Process of Success. I'm Tom Scolle, or Scholes as I get called, and this podcast has been designed for cricketers and cricket lovers who want to learn and improve themselves. In this podcast, we interview past, current, and future cricket stars to find out more about their journey and what makes them successful, while also sharing some audio from ourselves at Cricket Mentoring. Our goal is to help you become your best on and off the field. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and get something valuable for out of it. Today's episode is with someone who has been through their fair share of ups and downs in the past few years. Cameron Bancroft went through a turmoil that I'm sure every cricket fan knows about in Newlands, South Africa, a few years ago. And this podcast is hearing about his journey from being a young boy growing up in Perth, idolising Justin Langer, to playing under Justin Langer for Western Australia and for Australia, to the events of Newlands and rebuilding his life in the aftermath. So let's get into this episode with Cameron. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. G'day legends and welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. I'm here with Cameron Bancroft. Bangers, thanks for joining me. Thanks Scott, thanks for having me mate. No worries. Um, So it's the first episode we've done for quite a while, so I'm excited to get back into this. Now those of you, I'm sure anyone watching this knows who Cameron Bancroft is, but in case you've been living under a rock, Bangers has played 10 test matches with a high score of 82 not out. 99 first class matches with an average of 37.94, 56 list day matches and 50 2020 matches. So at the age of 27, a very experienced cricketer, but with a lot of cricket still to go. Now, Bangers, for this podcast, I'd like to take uh, our guests back to where it all began. What's your earliest memory of playing cricket? Um, oh, yeah, I think it, like like all Australian kids, probably in the backyard, I guess. I've got two, um, or two younger brothers. Um, One's these uh, couple of years younger than me, so we're uh, probably much much closer, particularly when we were growing up. So we had a few battles in the backyard. Uh, he ended up being a fast bowler, and obviously I was always a batsman. So um, yeah, plenty of bowling, um, bowling to me. Um, yeah, and I think I think the other memory is probably just my dad spending time. Um, you know, you know, frustrating at times. It's always really frustrating listening to your dad sometimes, but like. Um, you know, like I'm looking back now, like I just loved it. You know, um, working hard on technique, hitting the ball on the ground. That was some of the key messages. So, yeah, I think they're my earliest memories of uh, of cricket. And did you have idols growing up? Did you try and go to the nets and bat like a certain person? Yep, yep, I did. Um, also, go to Mulmans and pick up bats because uh, you know my heroes used this one or something like that. Like I, I remember. Um, always wanting a, a kookaburra Diablo because David Martin used one of them, so he was a he was a uh, hero of mine. Um, yeah, Justin Langer was also another hero of mine as a batter. Um, yeah, before I guess I realised that bowling wasn't for me. Um, yeah, Brett Lee was always a bit of a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a man for me. Actually, a story there was a uh, the Justin Langer cricket camp was a pretty like popular camp for years, and um, yeah, when I was a kid was down there doing the thing um you know training enjoying the camp for three days or whatever and i had a new south wales blues top and uh jay will come up to me i must have been 10 at the time 10 or 11 and um yeah jay will come up and he was like i'll oh, come and see me at the end of the day you know like i love brett lee sort of thing so that's why i had the new south wales blues top on and uh yeah i went to a jail at the end of the day and he um he come in and he 
must have gone home, got, a, got a, uh, an old Western Warriors top of his, signed it and gave it to me. And um, he was like, put this on, like, make sure you take that New South Wales top on. And lo and behold, that bloke became my coach for WA. So, funny amazing. story, yeah. It's amazing how these things progress. And yeah. uh, he was obviously hurt by the fact you were wearing He was, yeah. He was, yeah. He's such a passionate man, JL. Um, now, how did you transition from the, the backyard to, to what was your first career club? And how did you, do you have any memories of your first few games of cricket? Uh, not too much. Um, my junior, before playing district cricket, um, played for the Leaming Spartans Cricket Club. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, literally around here. Um, yeah, I used to play at Peter Ellis and John Connell and, uh, you know, grounds like that. Um, yeah, I can remember, like, not being a very strong kid and being, like, frustrated when bigger kids could, like, hit the ball and, and stuff like that. But, um yeah, earliest memories, I guess, are just rocking up on a Saturday, being really nervous, putting sunscreen on and hating it every minute of it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just, just loving loving batting and, and wanting to never get out. Yeah, the, Which has carried on throughout your whole career. I guess, bit, so. Yeah, I guess some things don't change. And um, at what point did you think cricket is something you want to do professionally or something you thought, I'm pretty good at this and something, and you really became passionate about it? Um. Yeah, I think I think belief in yourself that you can, you know, you can be a really good player is always something I think everyone everyone battles with at different times. Um, yeah, I can remember playing like an under thirteens game, and it was might have been the second or third time I got to fifty and uh, district game. And I think I ended up like ninety not out at the end of the day. It was the first game of the season, and I ended up playing quite well. And I remember after that being like. You know, cricket's a hard game, um, but you know, like I can, I can do this. And then I guess from there, like I became really motivated just to um, work on my game all the time. You know, go down to Millman's. Um, Wayne Andrews has been a you know long term, long time mentor. Um, you know, my dad throwing balls. Like yeah, it was just sort of really became really fascinated with the game and also just wanting to get better and improve and. Um, yeah, I think once I got into those sort of early state pathways as a 15-year-old and stuff like that, uh, um, yeah, it was was a no-brainer really for me that I wanted to play cricket. Awesome. It's, it's amazing that you say just wanted to get better and improve because something that came to mind when you mentioned that was mm. my good mate, who you're obviously close with as well, Chris Rogers, um, spoke about when he was coaching the Australia A side, he said quite a lot of the batters in that group were, weren't as hungry to get better and improve and he really singled you out as one of the guys that just wanted to lap everything up and really wanted to get better and improve so that's obviously something that has stuck with you throughout your whole career so well done on that um, tell us about you as a 13 year old then you've, you've, when you're talking about that time just now what, what was when you say you were motivated to work hard and get better what did, what did it look like for you as a 13 year old were you training every day or were you just still playing for fun a few times a week or what was it like yeah, I was a bit of a nutcase as a little kid. Um, like I, you know, I learned that, um, you know, I thought really good players kept like training journals and stuff like that. So I reckon at about that age, like I started to play around with what that looked like. And I was probably no good at it and I didn't know what I was doing, but like that was a little process that I like started to sort of follow. Have you still got um, that now? Oh, yeah, like since then. I, I've probably, I've got a box at home full of about 20 or 30, like bits that I've like written in and sometimes not all the time but sometimes I like to go back and, and read read what I was thinking and what I was writing back in you know other times which is really fascinating actually yeah, like, especially like 
to look back, you know, 10 years and go like, you know, what was I thinking about like as a 18 year old at a cricket academy or something like that. Like, so it's really interesting. Um, as a 13 year old, I was extremely superstitious, really superstitious. Like I had a, you know, I, I didn't remember, I could only wear like red underwear when I was playing, like <laughs> wake up in the morning, had to have, you know, mum had to make spag bowl the night before a game and I had the leftovers in the morning for breakfast. Like, Is that because it worked one like, time and you just yeah, wanted to follow? Potentially, yeah. And, and maybe like, you know, I was fueling myself well and I felt like it was helping me. So, um, yeah, I can remember, yeah, following all those, all those sorts of things. But yeah, like I think, um, at heart, like I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So, you know, if things weren't, weren't going well, like I wanted to, I wanted to fix them and, and rectify them and, and was probably a little bit impatient at times with, um, you know, just like trusting the process and just you organically improving and getting better. So, um, yeah, that was probably me as a, as a 13 year old, but yeah, I was always ridiculously hungry to, to do well. Um, and was that, was that to do well in everything in life? Were you really driven and hungry to do well at school and academics or just in your cricket? Yeah, at school probably, um, I was a bit, bit relaxed with, um, I had, I probably had my moments where I was, you know, I really pushed myself, but ultimately I think I just you know, cruise through a little bit. I did what I needed to do and what I needed to learn. Um, but yeah, sport was, was, was like where I, where I wanted to be. And, um, yeah, you know, I played footy, um, played basketball, um, you know, and I was quite good at like all those sports as well. So, um, you know, I think as decisions become harder to, you know commitments become greater you can't just keep keep doing all those sorts of things all all the all the stuff that you want to do but yeah on the sporting field no matter what I was doing like I was you know really really determined to to do well at what age did you think you had to or what age did you become single-minded for cricket obviously you had the other sports going on as well but what as you say now I'm stopping man with cricket's everything I reckon when I was about 16 um I kind of knew that I was going to play cricket, but I was just playing, I was playing footy because, um, like I was still at high school at the time, Aquinas, so I could, um, you know, you'd, in the winter time you'd play like, you know, um, first 18 or the, the football program there. So, um, but in the back of my mind, like I, I knew that, you know, like I was playing footy to keep myself fit for when the cricket season come along sort of thing. But, um, obviously when I was out there, I loved it as well. Um, but it, yeah, about that time I started to just sort of, um, understand that, you know, and I had, I had some really good coaches and, and mentors that, um, were coaching my cricket, but also my footy as well. And like, you know, they'd look after me, you know, like rather than playing, um, like I used to play in the midfield a fair bit. So I, rather than be in the action there, like they, you know, he'd chuck, chuck me up forward or yeah. something on a half foot flank. So like. Yeah, so I wouldn't, you know, like get knocked out or be silly (laughs) or something like that. So, um, yeah, about that age, I reckon, yeah. Yeah, so you've mentioned Wayne Andrews and your father. Yep. Um, How important have mentors been? Is there anyone else you want to mention now? But how important has mentors been throughout you, for you throughout your career? Um, Yeah, they're huge. Um, Yeah, that that mentor from footy and cricket um, I started was um, Gavin Brown. So he, um, he was a coach, like, at Willett District Career Club when I was really young and um, 
you know, he, he was a, he's been a great influence for me even today as well. Um, really good guy to, to speak to. So I think, I think when people just show genuine care, care and, um, care for you and, and want to see you do well, you really, um, really respect that. And, um, you know, like Wayne, like my dad, um, you know, all my family, um, you know, you, you see those people put the time and the effort in with you and, um, yeah, you, you build some, some great friendships that, that go, you know, beyond when you're a youngster and, and to, you know, I guess where you become, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, having a bit of a longer career. Mm. Um, we spoke about a bit about your 16-year-old, but just to give some of our younger listeners or viewers an, a, a, an idea, mm. what did your week look like as a 16-year-old in season? We spoke about you as a 13-year-old. Were you training every day by the time you were 16? Was it lots of fitness and lots of training, hitting, or how, how did it look week on week? Um, yeah, I think I was obviously very very dependent on my parents to, to do a lot of, lot of work for me, um, to drive me from, um, you know, like school training to then go to, um, you know, Willerton to, uh, you know, to then go and have a hit with, with, with stars out of Muleman. So I, I was indebted to, to them for, for doing that. Um, you know, if I, if I couldn't train, like I had, I had the classic ball and the string in the backyard and like, you know, just groove my hitting, like, hours out there in the backyard that was something that I remember having as a kid from when I was I don't know eight nine ten years old till I was probably 17 or 18 and I was still living at home so that was something quite um, big and, and I think fitness was always really really important to me as well um, I for some reason I had this fascination with going to the gym like I wanted to I, I felt like that was something that was going to help me I had no real education necessarily in it but um, I think the more I got into the pathway, sort of the whacker, the more I got exposed to that. That was something that I incorporated. But um, and it was something you enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, it was something that I enjoyed, and, and I think it's definitely evolved as my career has gone on now. But um, yeah, aside of that, um, running, running was huge, and I, I used to sit at home and like write out my own programs, like for myself, for for weeks, and follow them, like in terms of. You know what kind of running I was going to do. I was going to go for a long run, or I was going to, you know, run between wickets or do shorter sort of interval type stuff. But I literally just experimented that that with myself. But um, you know, I think in the long run, it, it helped. It helped me to to stay in shape and give myself a good chance to, you know, to play well. Because um, you know, you can't you can't say that being fitter doesn't doesn't help you, you know, be a better better cricketer. Mm, I know that's one of JL's big sort of mottos or philosophies as yep. well. And something I've always thought as well, I've always tried to be the fittest I can be because I know that it can only have positive yep. um, influence on our game and our life. Big shout out to all the parents out there for driving their kids to cricket and to, to sport and to school and everything. Without parents, we obviously all wouldn't be here. And shout out to your mum, Linda, who came and did a, a workshop for our athletes last year and she was fantastic. So shout out to Linda Bancroft. Now... Um, transitioning from where you're at now to the next step is a big thing and we often get lots of questions about that talk us a bit about transitioning from school or junior cricket into premier cricket into grade cricket and how that was for you how old were you when you first played first grade um, I played my first game first grade I think when I was like just before I turned 16 um, at Williton and, and uh, I can remember it being um, like a fair bit of a like a shock in terms of just the, 
the, the level of intensity and just competitiveness. Um, <clears throat> it was completely different to what I'd, what I'd probably experienced in junior cricket. Like junior cricket people, you know, like kids get competitive and they get stuck in and, um, but at that level it was just really quite, um, yeah, quite different. So a little bit intimidating at the start, but, um, yeah, I think, it, you know, it helps you to grow some, some thick skin because it's, uh, it's tough competition. It's really tough to do well and to be consistent at. Um, great cricket's bloody hard work. So um, yeah, I think I think um, I wasn't successful straight away at that. Definitely not. But um, what number did you bat when you came in? Do you remember who your debut was against? Yep, played against uh, Clement Edlands. Um, batted seven, um, got four not out. I was absolutely stoked. And I didn't even care about making runs. I just didn't want to get out. Yeah. So, like, I must have been four or 50 or something like that. But I just remember being like, I'm, I'm not getting out here. Um, and, I, I, you know, to be fair, I was really lucky. I had some really good senior, good grade players playing around me. So, um, yeah, I had a really good environment to, you know, to you know become a tougher cricketer, but also to, um, yeah, become a better player as well. All right, my first memory of you, I don't know how old you were and what stage of this first grade career was, but yeah. I, my memory is Ryan Duffield, who was a big, fast, quick at the time, probably had a Warriors contract at the time, good mate of mine, bowled a ball and you clipped him off your hip for a single or a two, and as you ran past him, you chirped him. You <laughs> said, bowl there. Yeah, said, <laughs> I, I thought that's what you said. You said, don't bowl there, and, and it got the big dub absolutely yeah. steaming that this young bloke was chirping him. That was absolutely yeah. gone. Obviously, showed a bit about your character back then. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking then, but <laughs> I was overstepping the mark probably a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like sometimes when you're young, like you, you feel like um, you need a. I don't know. Like there's this, and by the way, you don't need to do this, but you feel like you need to prove to people that you've got it, and you, you know, you, you've got thick skin, and you can be tough and stuff like that. And I already, I had that, but. I, you know, maybe as a young player, you feel like you got to go outside of your yourself to prove that um, a little bit. And I reckon maybe that's what that moment was about a little bit. <laughs> oh, it stuck with me forever. And I reckon yeah. Big Duff would remember it clearly. Uh, um, but it also obviously shows your character that you were willing to fight. You weren't scared of the contest. You were taking on the big quick. And that's something that's been a, a real sort of character of your career. You're not, you won't back down. You fight when the chips are down. And, and it's a full credit to you. But in that moment, you weren't scared of the big fast, but it was probably the quickest bowl on the comp at the mm. time. So moving forward, you then played a lot of great, for a fair couple of years of grade cricket, did well, obviously. Um, you transitioned from grade cricket to second level, but probably the biggest step is then into first class cricket. And you made your first class debut against a very ex- experienced Victorian team at the MCG. Um, and it was just before your 19th birthday. How was that experience? You got six, uh, 12 and 6, mm. but how was that experience? How did you find a step up from grade cricket to first class cricket? Um, yeah, I found it really, um, yeah, I found, I found it tough. Um, the one thing that with first class cricket that um, I, I think it's really in your favour and, and you don't really, um, it probably takes you a little bit to, to sort of understand this, but you play on some of the best wickets in, in Australia. So, like, while the bowlers are very, very good, you also play on really nice wickets. So, um, I think that, that balances out a lot. Yeah, my first game, um, Peter Siddle hit me in the head three times, I reckon. Um, yeah. Um, 
and then got me out after he hit me in the head the third time. So I had a bit of a tough, tough initiation, but it was, um, I think it's what you need. It's what you need sometimes to be like, right, welcome. This is tough. Like this is probably as hard as it's going to get in terms of competition. Victoria, a really good team at the time. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a tough game. I can't, I can't remember. I think we might've drawn that game in the end, but, um, yeah, I was certainly very proud to, yeah, to be like, you know, this is a stepping stone in my career that I really wanted to achieve. So I was a really proud moment. Was there a lot of fear going into that game? Was there a lot of doubt? Am I good enough for this level? Or were you feeling like, as a young guy, I'm ready for this, this is where I belong? No, I, I don't think so. I think I, um, yeah, I don't think you really, even the most confident people, I don't think you really feel that straight away. I think you've still got to action and do it. So, um, you know, I, I, I certainly felt like I was... Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm sure I felt confident to an extent in myself, but you go up to that next level and, and you always want to, um, you want to do it to prove it, you know, a little bit to yourself to give yourself that confidence that, right, okay, I'm here now, I've done well, like I can build on that. And at what point do you, can you put a, a finger on it or right on putting you on the spot here, but at what point did you think I'm good enough for this level, I belong? Was it your first good score? Was it a run of scores? Was it a a really good patch of, of form or what, when did you think I'm good enough for this level and maybe I'm good enough for the next level yeah I reckon it wouldn't have been probably until my second season of Shield Cricket um, it was a it was a really really I um, my first season of Shield Cricket I actually started season okay I got starts a lot got a couple of 50s and stuff um, and then my second half of the year was a disgraceful like and I was not confident I had no belief in my game or anything like that and um, at the end of that season one of the pretty much the most important thing that I highlighted was I needed to relax more and I I took that in literal sense so you know like I changed my setup quite a lot to tapping my bat on the ground so I could have really relaxed hands and things like that um, and I practiced that at the the cricket academy for that winter, the whole the whole year, um, and it was a very different process. And it didn't happen straight away. I, my first, I think, I played a couple of one days for WA, missed out, got dropped, um, and then uh, I had a net session at uh, the SCG. Um, you know, I was obviously disappointed. I wasn't playing one day cricket at the time for WA. Um, we won the Matador Cup that year, um, which hurt a little bit even more sitting on the sidelines watching, albeit being proud that your team won. But um, Nathan called an old bowled, bowled to me in the nets in uh, one of our training sessions. Um, and I was just, I'd been working on this really relaxed setup and mindset and everything like that, but it just wasn't, there was something missing there. And he come down, Colts is a pretty honest bloke. Um, very honest bloke, one of the most honest people that I've I've certainly met, and um, you know he was just like you know you got to stop doubting yourself, you got to stop you know like um, you know, I guess playing in fear like a little bit because you fucking go you go I just what you go you go you go nowhere. So um, he he was a bit more stern with what he was saying, and JL was there at the time, and um, yeah I can just. Yeah, it was really difficult and quite fearful for me to stand there and be relaxed and trust that I was just going to move into a good position and hit the ball. Um, the the rest of that net session was like chalk and cheese to the start of it. And then in my first game of Shield Cricket that, 
that season I got my first first class hundred, and um, yeah, it was just com- completely different. And I think for the rest of that year, and um, you know, I had a really really good season, um, got a few hundreds, um, yeah, and and I felt completely different about myself as a cricketer after that. So it's amazing that it was that little thing from courts mm. that sparked something within you that just triggered something within you that gave you what do you think was just a bit more belief? Was it yeah. just a bit more sort of? Uh, sort of belief that you were good enough and belonged to that level? It was actually just, um, like, in that moment, I was completely vulnerable. You know, I the thing with fear, right, and, and with, you know, self-doubt and stuff like that, people hold on to it because it's really comfortable. It's actually really comfortable to sit there and to be like, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not. Um, but, but in that moment, I was, I was so... I was so vulnerable because... I wanted to be a, a really great Australian cricketer, but also I was so afraid just to stand there and to trust and to and to relax. Like, um, and and sometimes like when you're sort of fighting between the two, like it's actually a really comfortable place, and that's why some people never make it because they get really comfortable in that place. Um, but for whatever reason, in that in that moment, like you just get to this complete stuff that kind of mind place you know state of mind and and I always when we play cricket against people like when players get in that mindset where they're just going stuff it like it's a really as an opposition player it's a really dangerous place to be because people when they get in that headspace you know often perform really really well mm. there's something that mm. links their mind to their body and then they things just happen and, and that's what happened for me in that moment mm. amazing it's a good something that comes to my mind there is a good friend of mine, Sussex captain Ben Brown, said yep. that at one point it might have been I could have my timeline on me, but it might have been when Jay Wardener was there as an overseas player and he spoke about not fearing getting out and they had a mantra or a motto, the fuck it factor. Yes. And they would say that often, like fuck it. I didn't like, want to say it. That's okay. We, we, we can beep. We can beep out the swear words. That's yeah. okay. That's no yeah. dramas. But yeah, yeah. and and it was a real emphasis to stop tr- caring too much or trying too hard. Obviously, we care. We're human beings. We train hard. We want to do well. But it's and I know I've read in the past. I'm a big cricket nuffy. Read all things about everything. I've read somewhere in the past about you that it was a real sort of struggle to not try too hard. It was something that you had to work at. When we try too hard, the results don't come. So it's more about relaxing and trusting the process, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, definitely. And 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 the hard thing with cricket is is you can you can do the processes, you can do everything right, and you can walk out, and it's not going to happen for you. Mm. Like and that, and that's the thing that's so hard to, to grasp is that we do all the work, and we think we go out, then we deserve it, and then it doesn't happen, and then we get disappointed about it. Like and that and that is just the hardest thing to like understand, mm-hmm. and the the really great players that that doesn't bother them that that happens. They just go, that's part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't meant to be then, but I'm doing the right things, and that's enough. And so I'm just yeah. going to keep doing them. I'm just going to keep, keep showing up. Yeah. How did you get to this mindset? Did you have you done work with a mental coach? Is this just a lot of your own? sort of internal reflection or listening to others? How have you got to understanding this? Um, years of making mistakes. And, and, I, and I have, um, you know, I think, I think particularly in the last 12 months, I reckon, I reckon I've improved a lot, a lot in this, 
in this sort of space, but I couldn't I couldn't give you a time that I would have come to to think about think that in that way. Um, you know, there's a really um, really good mind coach that I met in um, in the UK last summer. His name's uh, Morris Duffy, and he said, um, you know, he talks about his own life, and he kind of he kind of says that some of his greatest um, achievements are actually his are actually his failures. Some of his greatest achievements, and when you when you look about when you look at things like that, it does put a lot of things in perspective. Um, gets you out of your head in this fight or flight, um, you know, deep anxiety that people get in because they want to do well, and just to like um, understand that like sometimes your mistakes are part of the process. Mm. And um, he always talks about there being winning and learning. No, failure is not a thing. There's winning or there's learning. Um, and um, I think it's a really good, good, good mindset to be in. Absolutely, and I, I think and try and encourage all the athletes I work with that it's winning or losing. It's always learning, but it's a great way to spin the losing or the failure into it's a it's a lesson. It's something to learn from. Mm. So, with that, what you just said there, does does bangers who gets out in, in the next game or this week in a second eleven game handle getting out the disappointment much better than a nineteen year old Cameron Bancroft did? Yeah, massively. Um, you know, I, this week, for example, we, um, you know, for me personally, I, um, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get any big scores, but I took away some really, really good things from the game. And, um, and the big, the big picture is that I'm going to go and play in a shield game and I'm going to be much better prepared because I like, made some mistakes here. People look at the outcome, right? And, you know, like people will judge the outcome. Um, you know, obviously cricket's a game that's, Broadcast quite a lot, and people have always have a fair bit to say, but um, they don't know what I'm doing in my head, and that's actually the most important thing. So you know, like for this week, ball swung a lot. Um, you know, I um, you know like I'm really happy with where my setup is, what I'm what I'm doing, way my feet are moving. I made a, a poor judgment driving at a ball. That's cool, like. With a Duke ball, I can't I can't play that shot if, if the ball's going away from me. So that's my lesson. And so will um, that going into the shield game, will that mean that situation again, you get that similar ball, you've you've banked that knowledge and you'll be leaving that ball. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the Duke ball swings a lot, so it's it's quite it's a little bit confronting to, to deal with a little bit, especially since you've you know, transitioned from a you know, playing twenty twenty crew where I walk out and the ball doesn't move off the straight. So it's it took a little bit of adjusting to, um, but um, yeah, the, the sort of the big lesson that I took in the second innings, we got quite a, quite a half decent ball, so I can walk off and, and I can I can accept that. But um, the thing that you know in twenty twenty and, and particularly like even as kids, you walk out and we want to hit the ball and we want to hit the ball to the boundary for four and we want to hit the ball for six and we think that's like a really successful play. Right, and everything else in between means nothing. And in the second innings, um, obviously, you know, like I was not even going to bother giving attention to the ball that was moving away from me, particularly if it wasn't there to hit. So um, I actually started to have great enjoyment in knowing that a bowler bowled a good ball and I left it. And that, and that, to be fair, that's as successful as hitting hitting a ball and scoring off it. But we don't see it like that. We sort of see it like. Uh, you know, like I've missed an opportunity there. The game's about scoring. It is about scoring runs, but there's also a really great joy in bowler bowling a good ball and us leaving it 
and just watching him go through to the keeper. Like that's as successful a decision as stepping to a ball that should be hit and you hit it for four. And um, that was a bit of a lesson that as a batting group we sort of learned during that second limit game, but sort of a really big thing that I that I took away. And um, you know, that's what I'm that's what I'm good at. I'm good at, you know, leaving balls for long periods of time, allowing people to come to me and, and I think for long form cricket that's that's the game. Let's take a quick break from the podcast for a minute to thank our sponsors, Grove Cricket. Grove is the best gear in the business, and we absolutely love using it. Guys, if you're interested in some Grove Cricket gear, then send us a message on Instagram. Let us know what you're after, and we can help you become a user of Grove. And in doing so, you can support what we're doing here at Cricket Mentoring. It is awesome gear, and I'm sure you'll love it as much as we do. Now, let's get back to this episode. Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing, and we're obviously getting a fantastic insight into you as a person and your mind, your philosophy, but it seems that what I've sort of noticed over the years of being involved in cricket and, and speaking to and watching some very, very exceptional performers is that it's, it's their mindset, it's their understanding of things that really takes them from average to great. And hearing you talk about putting a positive spin on things, I think is huge. Like some, a lot of young players, they, they dwell... They get frustrated, they get annoyed, as you've already spoken about. But for you to step away and, and sort of, you could have said, oh, I'm a test player, it's a second level, and I'm not playing well. But for you to go, yeah, I'm, I've learned a lot from that. I've taken a lot out of that. And I'm going to take that forward into my shield game. is an awesome lesson for everyone listening or watching to this, watching this video. So well done to you on that. Um, on that, what, what, at the top level, what do you think is... The, the balance between technical and mental. What is if you were to break it down into a number percentage? What do you think it is? Ten percent technical, ninety percent mental, or vice versa? How do you see it to be successful over a long period of time at the top level? Um, yeah, I think I think technique is really important. Um, I think if you've got a a really solid technique, the game is all mental. Um, but if I reckon if you're if you're a little bit deficient in in some places technically, um, mentally you can be absolutely switched on and all that. But you get like you get found out a little bit. So you know that's what you sort of see. Like you know especially you know like classic one to be you know the way Marnus has been batting like you know, at, at the moment. You know I think he had um, you know he was always he always had like a really really good good mind and good mindset um you know technically he had just a couple of little things and and you know he's been able to sort them out but still keep his mindset exactly the same and now he's actually playing probably how he how he was always capable of doing so um it, it's it's tweaking mm. you know like you're always going to be tweaking you know bowlers are going to well, people are smart and people love solving problems. So, you know, like Steve Smith goes and has an, has an ashes like the way he does, but then people people are not dumb. They want to work out, right, how can, we, how can we find a way to nullify Steve Smith? And, you know, like you probably say that this summer that teams did that. So, um, albeit he was still able to find a way at times, like teams actually did that. So um, the challenge is then just to like, just tweak yourself like and it's literally like it's it's literally like just putting spices like in a you know in a 
pan like when you're cooking your food like that and that's I think that, little bits. just adding bits taking bits out that I think that's what technique and and what your mind is doing um, to, to make yourself I guess be in a, as good a state as possible to, to perform how do you go about managing your game I've, I've obviously seen you the last few weeks in the Muleman's a fair bit in the middle of the big bash the big bash had finished you in there again hitting with Bobby Muleman working on things in your game how do you manage technical sort of aspects of your game and how do you manage transitioning between the formats it's obviously difficult and you say you've come out of big bash and you're in the second and the ball's moving and you're used to whacking that ball through or over covering you suddenly need to be leaving that ball mm. how do you find juggling the formats oh, i think it's yeah it's obviously challenging and um yeah i think so, some days you you adjust really really well and really quickly um and then other times like you you know it takes a little bit of time but one thing i would say is that i think the more experience you get the quicker that that goes so you know like i've had one game but like i've really identified quickly what that is and the next time you know like i'll play grade cricket on saturday so like that'll be something that i practice again on saturday when i play club cricket um going into the shield game so um yeah that that's something that i think um yeah like i'm i think all players are really aware of Technically, yeah, I, I um, you know, I think I was quite a poor player through the offside. So, you know, during my band period, I worked a lot with Bobby on on that side of things. I really simplified a lot of stuff um, in my setup. Um, you know, got back to basics with a lot of things. Worked on, you know, hitting the ball, um, you know, particularly off the back foot, um, and. You know, when I go to Muleman's and I like hit on the bowling machine, or if I go to um, you know Southern Cricket and Leamy and I hit on the bowling machine, I just want to I just want to groove. I just want to groove my shots. That's all I want to do. I want to, um, you know, I want to hit you know buckets of balls and my pads, and, and I want to like f- get to a place where I'm just it's just automated and it's happening and it's happening. And I'm grooving where my feet are going and then where the ball's going. For, for all shots whether I'm trying to hit my cuts or pulls or driving whatever that is so that, that's what I'm trying to achieve obviously Bob's got a great eye for detail and and, and that's why like, I, I appreciate what he has to say to me so um, that's that's what I that's what I get out of that and also he like you know he, he works me really hard when I'm in there and I, I love and I love that so um, you know for me that's what that's about and you know whether you're playing 2020 cricket or um, or I'm playing four day cricket there's some basics there that I'm going to be doing exactly the same so I want to make sure that I'm on top of them I'm not neglecting those things because I know that those things are really important to me playing well mm. so technically your game doesn't really change from different formats does it it's just your game yeah. plan and your mindset that's it yeah 100% and um, like I remember having a really good chat the second on the game with Jake Carter about club cricket because um, you know I'm I'm a really passionate Williston person, so I love I love my club, but also I, I want guys to get better and, and to improve. And um, you know, particularly as a club cricketer, it's really hard to it's really hard to improve sometimes when you're working all week and you get two hits and you know maybe for ten minutes in a net, and then you get a sometimes few throwdowns. Nets aren't very good. No, it's not, and nets are you know like a crap sometimes, and you can't do anything about it. So. Um, you know, we were just talking about, you know, obviously technique and, and he, um, you know, Jake, you know, Jake was sort of like, it's, it's, it's difficult for grade players to improve technically because you don't have the time that I have. I, you know, like 
they're at work Monday to Friday. I can sit on a bowling machine for six hours that week and I'm going to get better. So um, game plan there, it becomes extremely important. You know, regardless of your technique, do you have a game plan that you can stick to that's going to just give you a chance, you know, to do well? You might have all the all the technical deficiencies in the world, but at least if you've got some sort of a game plan, you're giving yourself a chance. If you're walking out and you're doubting your technique and you have no game plan, you, you're really stuffed. You can't you can't play well. So, um, yeah, that was really interesting. And for younger players, I think y- your game plan evolves as you get more experience, but that's where your coaches and your mentors can really help you sort of say, okay, your cover drive's struggling a bit at the moment. Let's just look for anything straight and just really help coach and, and sort of guide young players I think because if young players are listening or watching this they might be like oh how do I get a game plan so it definitely becomes easier with, with experience when you understand yourself and your game plan more but if you are young speak to your coach your senior players and, and get get help from them about what you could be doing with your game plan um, just to give our listeners and viewers a little bit more context you're talking about coming to Millman's and, and grooving and hitting lots of sort of shots in a certain area on top of that, when you go to the whacker, it's lots of wangers and sidearms and challenging and facing bowlers and stuff, isn't it? So it's not just... Some people get caught up doing the easy stuff, the feel-good stuff, and don't get out of their comfort zone. So you're obviously doing a combination of both, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like to... I kind of like to, to plan it like this. And it's not always a really easy transition, but, you know, when you're training and I'm, you know, like particularly if I'm getting, you know, doing stuff on bowling machine or I'm doing something really specific, you know, like I'm sort of in a, in a bit of my like think thinking box. Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking about what I'm doing, but then I'm trying to like feel what that's like. So like I'm probably, you know, let's call it a think box and a feel box. Like I'm sort of transitioning a bit between the two, but I'm thinking about what I'm doing and then I'm trying to get some sort of feel of, of what's going on. And then when I go and I, um, you know, hit in a net and I know bowlers are bowling to me or if I'm having a throwdown and I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to transition out of this thinking and feeling into just play. Mm. And, you know, you talk good players, you ask them what they're thinking about and more often than not, they'll say nothing. Mm. I wasn't thinking about anything. Mm. And it's this muscle memory um, that you develop in this other space um, but you must let go of that to play. Mm. And that's really difficult to do because I guess we get attached to the processes of our training and our practice that we forget that the game is actually about expression and stuff. And if I was the best if I was if I was the, the best at that, I'd be playing test cricket right now. But I guess that's the battle of every player is to become better at that. I'm working on things, but I walk out and I play, and I'm in that play with box. Complete freedom. With complete, yeah, complete, complete, um, yeah, just complete nothing, nothingness. Yeah, yeah. It's um something that you may not have heard before, may have heard. Buck went on a learning tour with a bunch of coaches to the US last mm. year, and he said that one, I don't know where it was. They went to the um, Milwaukee Bucks and all these high performance sports teams and environments, and someone along that that. Um, tour they were on spoke about there's two zones there's the learning zone which is what you're sort of talking about you're thinking you're feeling and you're, you're trying to learn and develop and then there's the performance zone where when you say you, you walk into the net you've got bowlers and that's just like performance just game just nothing just play mm. and I, I found that fascinating because I hadn't that, that for me gives a label on how to and I really use that with the players I look after now and 
and say, okay, well, this is a learning session. We're going to groove. We're going to practice. I want you to think about it, feel it. And sometimes I might get on the sidearm and just say, right, performance zone. Let's just play like a game. I'm going to challenge you to feel this. And to break it up like that, I think, in my mind, has helped allow me to coach a little bit better so it's not crossing over too much. Mm. It's, um, yeah, and I thought that's a good, good way to sort of explain, I suppose, a different method of what you're going through. Yeah. Um, moving sort of forward, I guess, or back into your actual career, your test debut against England, November 2017, how did that week feel? How did that feel leading up to the test series? Did you feel, again, it comes back to, did you think you were ready? Did you have doubts? Obviously, playing in England with some of the world's best bowlers, knowing you were going to be side by side with Warner and Smith and the great players of Australian cricket, how, how did you feel, and how was that experience? Yeah, um, yeah, it was. I was extremely nervous that whole week. Um, yeah, found it really hard to hard to settle. Um, but contrary to probably other times where I'd like taken a leap up into a different level of cricket, I actually felt really confident in my game going into that into that test match because um, you know before then I'd played a shield game against New South Wales and I got like 80 not out and 86 in a game against you know Stark Hazelwood Cummins line doesn't get any better than and, that. And, and I was like I can do that and, and I remember Steve Smith who was the captain at the time saying to me he's like if you can you can play well against those guys you, you're like I'm telling you you can play well against them so I, I genuinely believe that um yeah, I'd come off a double hundred in South Australia in the next game. Like, I was feeling good. Um, and, yeah, when, when I got out in the first innings, I was a little bit of relief, kind of, that that was over. Just the, the, the nervousness was, like, something I'd never even felt before. Like, my hands and feet were shaking and all this sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, relaxed more into, into the game. And um, the second innings, I played, I played much better, um, which was... Yeah, which is really good. It's really it was a yeah good start um, to my test career then. Yeah, awesome. Now, a lot has been said about your character over the years. Jay All is a big sort of fan of yours and your work ethic. Um, what do you pride yourself on? Um, yeah, I think I just pride myself in being a a good a really good person. You know, um, you know I'm you know I, I value. Um, yeah, I value work ethic and, and working hard. You know, I value um, good communication. You know, trust, all these sorts of things. And I, I try and I try my best to, to live my life with those values and to play cricket, play cricket with them. So, um, you know, I'm extremely passionate as well. And, and I think all of those, you know, hopefully all of those traits for me give myself the best chance to be a, a good person and a really good cricketer as well. So. Um, I think it's really important to have values. I think it's really important for people to challenge your, um, yeah, your character and your values because, you know, um, that's that's how we get better. Mm, absolutely. Now, obviously, something that I'm sure a few people are wanting to hear about is the the adversity with mm. the Newlands Test. Out of that, you said one of the big lessons that I learned last year was about being true to yourself. Tell us more about that. And tell us the lessons that have come out of that experience. Yeah, well, I think probably much like I was just speaking about before, like you, um, sometimes in life we just live on autopilot. Um, you know, we have good character, but, um, we, we don't always, I guess, see how we are actually thinking and being at, at times until, yeah, you get challenged and, um, yeah, there's no doubt in that test match I made a mistake and I was 
really challenged um, a little bit leading up to that, and, and I, I, um, you know, which has led me to make a really bad mistake. So, the the that that was the that was the the big the big learning for me, and I think being true to yourself is about is about understanding you know, who you are and why, why you do the things that you do. And, um, you know, it obviously really, um, you know, I really looked at myself with, with that side of things and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully it can help me to be a better person today and, and hopefully a better leader as well moving forward. Mm, absolutely. And what a, what a awful thing to go through in public, but I suppose what a character building thing. And we were yep. fortunate we had you come into our second birthday party about 18 months ago and you were very, very honest and very real with the, our audience on that day and, and you spoke about the real struggle you, or the situation you were put in with trying to fit in but knowing what the right thing was, to, what the right thing to do was and trying to fit in is, is what we all want to do as human beings. We all that pack mentality, we need to survive, we have to fit in and obviously it was a, it was a tough thing you were put in. Um, Having had that forced nine-month break, um, which allowed you to go away and focus on other things in your life, I've read that it helped you sort of gain some perspective on cricket. Um, how are those nine months away from the game during your ban? How were they beneficial to your life outside of cricket? Um, awesome. I had um, I had a couple of I had some great experiences. Um, did did a. I went, I went away with a, a foundation and did some charity work there. Um, that was just absolutely fantastic. And, and to this day, like I've made some awesome connections there. Who uh, was that? in touch with the Kyle Andrews Foundation. On your hat. So shout out to the Kyle heart. Andrews Foundation. <laughs> Give him a follow, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, like there's some kids there that I've made some awesome friendships with that I still keep in touch with today. So um, that's been absolutely awesome. Um and um, <clears throat> you know, I, I did some really good stuff out at um, Swanview Senior High School and Swanview Primary School, just doing some um, yeah, some work with kids and like PE and and um, you know, a little bit of I don't know, like just I don't know, it's just sort of getting yourself into some uncomfortable and, and environments that you you're not really used to. So I found that really rewarding. Um, yeah, you know, it's been well documented that I yoga was a, a huge part of my journey and, and like it was it was massive and, and I did take a training course because it was so invaluable to me and um yeah that was um yeah that was that was really awesome as well um you know I was able to train and, and do a little bit of cricket in that period of time but certainly those outside of cricket things were you know were some of the some of the heights I ran in the um city surf Saw you at the start yeah, line. Yeah, you came so up behind me. Oh, I was like, "What's going?" And yeah. then you burnt me off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um, that were good times. Yeah, um, and so I suppose out of that, you. Some people talk about like I know Kobe Bryant, who's recently passed away. There's a lot being said and written about him recently. He was obsessed. He was an obsessive trainer, hard worker, and that's what took him to be the best. He was one of the best ever. Now, there's a real sort of school of thought that you've got to be obsessed to be the absolute best. But at the same time, to be the best you can be, you need balance. Mm. Do you think that having that time of the game has given you longevity and in the game? And where do you sit on obsession versus balance? Because sometimes they can't go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot. And um, I think... Um 
being being obsessed with something is like is okay. You know, being being obsessed with alcohol is not okay. Being obsessed with drugs is not okay. But being obsessed with other things that um you're passionate about and that you love, that that's what that's a healthy obsession to have. If I'm rolling in to, to play cricket and um, I go out and I get performance anxiety if I you know, am so disappointed for you know for weeks on end because I missed out here or, or something like that. That's not a healthy obsession because that's you know developing anxiety and and all kinds of things and, and it's not healthy. But to to do something and to love doing it and to to actually to love making mistakes doing something to love being you know to seeing mistakes and success in the same light with one another that that's really healthy. And that's also like extremely balanced as well. And I think you look at all the great, you know, great performers in sport. You know, like your like like Kobe Bryant, like um, um, Roger Federer, like um, you know, you know, Tiger Woods probably a little bit to an extent. He obviously had other issues, but like these guys, like just loved the process of what they were doing. Mm. You know? I think that's what I was going to say. Is it sounds like what you're describing is just loving the process. Yeah. That's it, yeah, and and yeah, and, and you're you're addicted to getting better, but you're not discouraged because you made a mistake, and and I think that's the that's the thing that you can learn from you know from elite performances. Is this, they're obviously elite, what they do, they get results, but they also don't care if they don't get results. But they've just they just keep chipping away, and 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 they just love what they do. And I guess if you're not doing that, then you you're probably not. You're probably not really loving what you're doing, are you? Mm. So um, I, I sort of have said to a lot of my athletes over the years that I feel like the, the best players, the very best, have a belief in themselves through so that when things don't go their way, like you say, they don't care. They just go, "I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I know it's coming. I know if I keep doing the things, it's going to come." Whereas a lot of young players, I've been through it. I know most people go through it. When the scores don't come, you start doubting yourself, you start getting that anxiety and that worry, and then you start adding baggage to your game when you walk out to bat the next time. So the best players go, oh, well, I'm just going to focus on my process, love my process, and everything will look after itself. Yeah, yeah. And it's just such a big thing for young players to understand. It's such a hard thing as a coach or a mentor to try and instill in young players is that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay that you haven't scored runs this week or for the last month. Just keep working, keep getting better, and things will come. Yeah. Over the years, and obviously with what you went through with the, the um, Newland stuff, dealing with criticism and hate has come your way. I read something this morning about um, you, you've really learned to turn the negatives into giving you energy to perform and do well. How have you, how have you learned that and what do you sort of try and do mentally when things, sort of people are giving you a hard time? Um, <clears throat> yeah, quite. I think, I think when people... Um, particularly want to give me a hard time about I don't know if I'm playing a game and someone's someone's have a crack at me or calling me a cheat or, or something like that like you know I, I just I look at that and um, I look at that and, and I go that some people are just like really distasteful you know in the world and um, they don't know right from wrong so you know like I know where I am in this place and that's enough um and I think that's that's just really, you know, that's just emotional intelligence, really. Um, yeah, there's a great quote from Marcus Aurelius that I can't remember off the top of my head, but every morning he would 
wake up and he would say to himself, you know, like, I wake up, people are going to be, you know, ungrateful, jealous, um, you know, you know, um, nasty, like all these sorts of things. Um, and the reason why they're going to do that is because they don't know right from wrong. Now, like people might get offended by that, but they're the facts. There are people in the world that are like that every day. So, um, you know, for him <clears throat> getting that out of the way at the start of the day made him walk into the gate and go, you know, I'm just going to be challenged today. And that's okay. Like, no worries. But that's, that's why people are the way they are. And um, that, I think that gives you perspective. And, and I reckon that's probably the, that's probably the main thing that I've, that I've, that I've learned, that I've learned from that. You know, I've had to deal with my own um, emotions and stuff. And I've had great people, Matt Bergen, our sports psychologist, the wacker up, been excellent for, in that process for me. Um, so when I got back from South Africa, so uh, yeah, but but in terms of everyday life and um, you know people in media, what, what they have to say, like I would just I would just read to myself that that quote from Marcus Aurelius just to put put it in perspective. Um, you're not in someone else's shoes, so um, some you know that that's just the the absolute absolute facts and um i think for a lot of that period of time you know there were yeah there were a lot of times where people weren't putting their feet in my shoes and um and and that's and that's how i look at you know that's how i was able to understand why the world around me was was being chaotic because mm. at the end of the day like i, t- I had to move forward from that did I, you I have to forgive yourself yeah absolutely that, that was the first thing i had to do um but you have to, um, yeah. You have to, you have to look after your yourself. You know, all these, all these corporations and like, you know, it happens in in the world today. Like, you know, there's there's greater fish to fry for for others. You know, for, um, and particularly for what other people value. And and um, you know, I had to understand that that's why. You know, that's why it was a big deal and that's why others around me were reacting and being that way. But I, I, had, to, I had to move quickly past that. And it wasn't quick at all. It was a process and it was difficult and, and things like that. But, um, you know, that's that's life. And, and um, you know, other people don't have to like it. But, you know, I was certainly, I'm certainly proud of where I am today and, and how I've been able to come through that. And you're at peace with it, obviously. And Yeah. No doubt those closest to you were very important throughout that period as well, helping you mm. get you through that tough time. Now, we've got to wrap up shortly. We could talk for hours. It's so fascinating mm. hearing all this about you. But what drives you? Yeah. I, um, you know, I personally, in, in cricket, um, particularly at this point in my life, I'm just really addicted to the process of getting better. And, um, you know, I haven't, uh, as an outcome, like I haven't achieved the things yet that I want to achieve in this game. Um, but you know, I'm going to wake up each day and I'm going to look to just, just tinker a little bit more just so I can, I can be better. And, and, um, you know, sometimes you gotta, you get obstacles that get thrown in your way. Um, but you know, those obstacles are the, they're, they're the way to go. You know, they're, you know, they're opportunities for me to, discover a little bit more about myself so you know that's what gets me out of bed each day to um to drive myself and um yeah it'll continue to do so for many more years to come how much of getting better 
comes from within and how much he's looking outside and taking ideas and advice from outside? I think it's a balance. Yeah, I think it's a balance. I wouldn't say one's more important than the other, but at the end of the day, you make the decisions for yourself. So um, you listen to other people, but you know the buck stops with you, doesn't it? So um, that's the. I think that's the key thing to to understand. People will help, but ultimately, people are not to blame for your mistakes, and and that's. Um, you know that's that's it. it. It stops with you, and you have to make you have to make those decisions that are either going to help you or not help you. But do you so do you look this week um, at another player you're playing against, and they're 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 playing the moving ball really well, and you're sort of observing and thinking hmm, maybe I could try that. Are you constantly looking at others and looking at the game as a whole and how people are going about things, and bring that into trying things in, into your own game as opposed to just fiddling with your own how it's feeling on the day. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's definitely times where, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing that. You know, certainly my reflections from this week are actually not that at all. Um, my reflections this week are that I'm actually going all right here. I don't need to overthink the process. I don't need to overthink what I'm doing. I'm actually really good where I am right now. And if I keep trusting that, like, I'm, I'm hopefully going to get, get results. So, um yeah, there's definitely times where that's something that I've definitely done. Um, but certainly in this instance with the game that's gone by, I think I would be overthinking if I was to, to do that a little bit too much, yeah. And you've spoken a bit about your reflections, you've spoken about your journals that you've kept over the years. What does it look like for you right now? At the end of every game or the end of every day, do you write things down? Do you take notes in a notebook or on a phone? Do you just think and just organise your thoughts a little bit? Do you let it go as soon as you leave the ground? How do you manage reflections now yeah so at the moment i i do this thing called uh it's called a 10 minute p you know i don't know what the p stands for but um yeah uh i sit down every night put a timer on and i just write for 10 minutes right and and i don't it doesn't it doesn't even matter if i'm thinking about you know why seeds grow or like Anything, 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 like it doesn't even matter, and and that's just a process. It's a way to dump stuff of dumping and yeah, emptying, but also it gives you a really good understanding of what your mind is is thinking, you know, as well, and and how you talk to yourself. Um, it's been like really fascinating. And then there's just a couple little things that I I like to mark myself on for the day, and um, you know, I stick to that. I stick to that process. Um, you know, I, I've been sticking to that process for you know quite a while now, um, but yeah, it, it it's been going really well. It certainly opened my eyes to what journaling is a little bit more. You know, before then, I used to just sit down and write about cricket, write about the next game and things like that. Whereas, I think I've learned a little bit over the last probably you know six or twelve months a little bit about that, which has been good. Something that I've seen as a common theme with the world's top performers, business people, sports people, is yep. they journal. They yep have some form of journaling, whether it's in the morning or the evening, they, mm. they write stuff down. Um, and w- with that, if you've, if you've marked yourself on one of those things and you're not where you want to be, is that then the next day you really try and correct that and really try and make that? Or you just go, oh, I was off today? I think, I think you, yeah, you, I'm probably silly if I'm, I don't look at it that way. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's sort of a balancing act between being like, not hard on yourself, but you know, really 
really driving that you're, you know, you're pushing yourself to be better, but also this softness as well to being like, well, today wasn't a great day for whatever reason, because, you know, I didn't give my full attention to people when I was, um, you know, having conversations and something like that. Let's say I wasn't doing that and I gave myself a seven out of 10 for it or a six out of 10. I, I wasn't as good at that today. You know, there's a part of you that's like, right, you know, like that's not good enough, you know, to have the awareness to be better at doing that. Like you need to do that. You should be able to do that on the spot. To then also being like, you know, it's all right. Like hasn't gone to plan today. That's okay. Tomorrow there's another opportunity. And it's this sort of tug of war between the two mm. that are both quite healthy. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Now moving into the final little bit of this podcast is mm. understanding you in the moment of battle. You have incredible powers of concentration. You've, you've known for your ability to bat for long periods. What do you do? How do you manage your thoughts and how do you manage your emotion, your energy during a game in between balls? Um, well, I've got, I'd say that they probably come down to my routines that I have between balls. Um, so, you know, I like to walk to square leg after each ball that I play. Um, yeah, come back sort of like time a run a little bit to when the bowler's going to be nearly ready at the top of his mark. And when you're at square leg, is there any, anything in particular in your mind or you're letting your mind just wander? Are you focusing on breathing? Are you doing anything in particular or just whatever happens? Um, I think I'm a little bit whatever happens, but, uh, you know, I would say there are days where I'm, you know, I guess really good at just being clear to whatever's really important. Um, and then I have days where I'm probably not, not good at that sometimes. Um, you know, I'm a believer that the space between the ball is the space that it differentiates like a really average cricketer from a very, very good cricketer. So, um, yeah, having routines are, are part of that, but I think then, you know, um, being able to bring yourself back to what's, what, what's really important in that in that moment is um, is important and, and I create it's really interesting because like you, you do have to think on the spot about things but then when the ball's coming down you need to like not think you know like if if a bowler's if a bowler's planning to if a bowler comes around the wicket to me and he puts in a bat pad in a leg gully or something like that like I, I have to think about that because you know if I was just to have a clear mind be free and then just hit, clip one straight you know straight to him or like do it that's dumb. So, like, there's this, there's this battle between actually thinking and, and analysing to an extent stuff, but then to, to bring it quickly back to what's important, and it's always the ball that's coming down at you. Mm. Yeah. So do you, just to try and get even more details, do, mm. do you sort of, as you tap your bat and mark your centre, you get into your stance, do you then have a mantra or a phrase or a keyword that switches you sort of on or takes away your thoughts, or is it just a natural thing? And this is when you're playing well. Obviously, yeah. when you're not playing well, you're probably clouded and things, but mm. when you're at your absolute best, what happens in that moment? Yeah, so the walking the square leg is really important. Um, that's like an, I feel like that's just a, a reflection of what's happened. Um, and then when I come back, I do this thing where I like just mark center with my bat. I don't know why I do it, but I, I, I kind of say to myself that I'm just centering myself. So that's why I do that. Um, Have you always done that or is that a recent thing with your yoga training? No, no, no. I've done that for as long, as long as I can remember. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I'll just like run it with my bat, 
um, you know, like twirl my bat in my hands and tap and then um, look up. And, and when, I'm, when I'm playing really, really well, I tend to like look at a spot on the wicket, probably around a good length before I look up at the bowler coming in. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll mix I'll mix things. I'll think, watch the ball. I'll think, see the ball early out the bowler's hand, like stuff like that. And then, um, you know, just, just a, and then from there, it's just a pure trust. In um, trusting the technique to be able to deal with whatever comes down at you, and then um, you know a clear a clear mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. As I've done more of these interviews and asked this sort of question to most most batters or, or high performers, gen the general theme is that they can't explain exactly what they do mentally because it must be something that's just developed over time, and they're able to clear their thoughts to focus. Whereas Often the overthinkers mm. are the ones, and I'm probably falling into that category that don't, that can't bat for long periods, that don't have that because something gets in there, stays in there, and they're distracted. So it's fascinating to hear that. Now I know we're going to wrap up shortly. So last couple of things: what is common in the best players that you've seen? What are some common themes in the very best players you've rubbed shoulders and played with and against some of the world's best players? What are, what are common themes? Um. I think they're able to, um, yeah, re- I think really good players are able to, um, they have a really solid, solid foundation. So the technique is very, very good, I would say. They give themselves a chance because they've done the work in that space. Um, the really good players um, deal, with, deal with failure in such a, in such a great way that like it just can't it's impossible to bring them bring them down um they're so optimistic and um you know willing to grow that like a mistake here is an opportunity and and i think that's what the the really great players are are really good at um and and they just they know that they know that they can yeah they know that they're gonna they're gonna go out and they're gonna play well so I think those three things are probably the the key things that I I've seen and really top cricketers um, playing with and played against. Yeah. Yeah. What's What's next for you now? So um, yeah, Shield cricket. So um, we play South Australia next Friday, um, which will be awesome. Yeah, looking forward to it. Duke's ball. Duke's ball. Yeah. Different challenges. Different first challenge. year. Yep. Then back to Durham next year. Yep. Yep. Then I go back to the UK and play for Durham. Um, in April enjoyed the time over there last year loved it yeah absolutely loved it awesome awesome club good bunch of guys um, so hopefully we can be successful this year awesome now final two questions we ask all our guests why do you play cricket yeah because I love love the game I love every part of it um, and um, yeah I'm just yeah addicted to the to, to improving and to, to getting better and to finding finding more about myself so um, that's that's why I play the game. Yeah. Awesome. And what's your definition of success? Uh, my definition of success is um, to to see to see like to see your failure, it's to see a good and a bad day in the same in the same light as one another. To see like you know something challenging. As in the same way as you see, like a hundred 
um, that's what success is. Awesome, that's amazing. Awesome advice for anyone listening or watching. No matter what age we are, that's um, something we can all take on board. Bangers, that's been amazing. Thank you so much. How can our viewers, our followers, sort of keep up to date with what you're up to? What's your social media's handles that they can follow you on? I'm really poor with social media, so it's probably not worth a follow. But um, yeah, I have I have Instagram. Um, I think. We'll, we'll I, don't, I don't post. Yeah, I don't right. post that much. No worries. <laughs> Thank you, mate. No worries. Cheers, Appreciate bro. it. Awesome. Thanks. Well, legends, wasn't that a remarkable story? Whether he likes it or not, unfortunately, the events of Newlands will remain with Cameron forever. But, he, like he said, he's forgiven himself, and no doubt most of the cricket public has. He's bigger and better and stronger for it, and he's sharing his message to help others not make the same mistakes he did. I love how he's obsessed with getting better. It's something, as I mentioned in the podcast, that Chris Rogers, my good mate, mentioned about Cameron when he was involved with the Australia A side. I loved how he mentioned that as a 10-year-old, Justin Langer gave him something special, the Western Australian shirt, after seeing him in a New South Wales blue shirt. I love how his, the words of his teammate Nathan Coulter-Nile helped turn his career around and how he's worked hard to forgive himself and be true to himself since the Cape Town dramas and how seeing success and failure in the same light is what success really is. So guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And if you did, please make sure you share it with someone who else... who who also might enjoy it. Remember to tag me at Skulls5 if you enjoyed it, and also Cameron at CBancroft4 on Instagram. Well, legends, you know what time it is. Go out and get it done. Do something great and be the best version of yourself.